Hi folks, welcome again to another episode of Pro Football in the 1970s. I'm your host, Joe Zagorski. Now, thanks to the Sports History Network, a signed copy of my new book, The 2003-Yard Odyssey, The Juice, The Electric Company, and an Epic Run for a Record, will be given away to one lucky fan. It's all about the 1973 Buffalo Bills. Please check out the Sports History Network online for details on how you can win a free copy of my new book on the 1973 Buffalo Bill. Thanks a lot for listening in to today's episode, folks. Look forward to chatting with you again soon in the future. Take care. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. And hello, sports fans, and welcome back to this latest edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, where we discuss the best of sports from back in the day. I'm your host, Dana Augusta, and I'm grateful of each and every one of you taking time out of your busy day to give us a listen. And just a reminder, don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you hear us. In this episode's main event, we're going to travel back to the summer of 1988. Sports fans around the world had their focus in Seoul, South Korea for the 24th Summer Olympic Games. In the Olympic basketball competition, the United States were one of the favorites to win gold once again. However, the team ultimately finished with a disappointing bronze medal, their worst finish ever in the Olympic competition. That third place finish paved the way for the creation of the Dream Team, and it also proved that the rest of the world were catching up to the United States in hoops. We'll talk about more about that in our main event. Later in the show, in our shout-out segment, we're going to pay tribute to two giants of sports history that recently left us. Bill Russell, who is looked upon as one of the greatest players in NBA history and one of the greatest winners in all of North American professional sports. And also, we lost one of the true treasures of baseball, and that is the great Vin Scully, whose voice captured some of the greatest sports moments of an entire generation of sports fans. And of course, we have our top five history-defining sports moments that took place over the past week in history. So sit back and pump up the volume, and you're listening to Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, which is a proud member of the Sports History Network. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast 
as well as Jersey Dispatch on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network. The soundtrack is provided by Raphael Crux from filmmusic.io. And welcome back to this edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, where we discuss the best of sports history one week at a time. I'm your host, Dana Augusta, and in today's main event, we're going to talk about Olympic basketball, specifically Team USA before the Dream Team. Now, this past week marked the 30th anniversary of the Dream Team led by Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, and others claiming the 1992 gold medal in the Barcelona Games. It was a dominant display of basketball for Team USA, placing them at the top of international basketball. However, that was the first time NBA players were eligible to play in the Olympics. Four years earlier in the 1988 games in Seoul, Korea, Team USA finished 7-1 in competition, yet came back from the Far East with a bronze medal. Their worst showing in the Olympics since basketball became an Olympic event in 1936. Since basketball's introduction into the Olympic program, Team USA had won every gold medal in the Olympics until 1972, when Team USA was upset by the Soviet Union, 51-50 and probably the most controversial finish to a basketball game in the history of the sport. After reclaiming gold in 1976 and after the U.S. boycott in the 1980 Olympics in Moscow, Team USA dominated the competition again in the 1984 games, led by future Dream Team members Michael Jordan, Patrick Ewing, and Chris Mullen, and was coached by Indiana University coach Bob Knight. By 1988, Team USA was primed to win gold once again, yet this time Team USA was co-favorites to win the gold medal with rival Russia. And with all the past success to Team USA in hoops, it had always had a being collegiate players that had brought home the gold medal. The basketball team representing the United States was a stacked, talent-filled, and star-studded bunch led by Georgetown head coach John Thompson and was anchored by the National Player of the Year David Robinson of the Naval Academy. Looking at the roster of the 1988 Olympic team looks like an all-star game lineup from the 1990s. Notable members of the team included Stacey Augman from UNLV, who would win a national championship with the Running Rebels in 1990, Bimbo Coles from Virginia Tech, Hersey Hawkins from Bradley, who played with the Seattle Supersonics that led them to the finals in 1996, Dan Marley from Central Michigan, who would start with the Phoenix Suns and play in the 1993 finals, Danny Manning of Kansas, who had led the Jayhawks to the national championship just a few months earlier, and Mitch Richmond of Kansas State, who would start with the Golden State Warriors and the Sacramento Kings in the NBA and would be a multi-time All-Star. Other players on the Team USA squad included J.R. Reed of North Carolina, Charles D. Smith of Pittsburgh, Charles Smith of Georgetown, Jeff Grayer of Iowa State, and Willie Anderson of the University of Georgia. In the prelims of the Olympic competition, the U.S. flexed their muscles, breezing through pool competition, winning all five of their games. In the opener, Team USA defeated Spain 97-53, with David Robinson leading the way with 16 points and 11 assists. In the second game, Canada gave Team USA a little bit of a challenge for much of the game, yet Team USA prevailed 76-70 as all 12 players scored. Next was Brazil, led by international star swingman Oscar Schmidt. The Brazilians had defeated Team USA a year earlier in the Pan Am Games 
and was expected to be a dogfight throughout. Yet J.R. Reed's 16 points and 8 assists led the Americans to a 102-87 win where once again all 12 players scored. In the final two games of pool play, the Americans routed the competition. Team USA blasted China 108-57 and which was led by Dan Marley's 20 points and 9 rebounds and closing out pool play was against Egypt who was no match for the Americans winning 102-35 as Marley and Robinson each finished with 18 points. In the quarterfinals, Team USA matched up with Puerto Rico and All-American center Ramon Ramos of Seton Hall. Final four most outstanding player Danny Manning paced Team USA in the quarterfinals scoring 18 points and winning 94-57 over their neighbors to the south, setting up the long-awaited matchup between Team USA and the Soviet Union in the semifinals. Now even though it was the semifinals, the game would be shown here in the States live in prime time as it was the first time that the two basketball and world superpowers would meet up in the Olympics since the controversial 1972 gold medal game. However, Team USA <coughs> coming into the pivotal semifinal was hobbled as Hersey Hawkins was unavailable due to injury. Playing without Hawkins and Danny Manning limited in the second half to early foul trouble, the Soviets took control of the game forcing several U.S. turnovers and causing Team USA to struggle from the field. Now the Soviets were stacked in their own right led by four key players that were superstars in European basketball. Point guard Sarunas Marcellonis led a balanced attack that featured the outside shooting of Remus Kurtonitis and Alexander Volkov. Yet most notable player for the Russian national team was 7 foot 4 inch Arvita Sabonis, noted at the time as the most dominant center in the world of basketball. Team USA trailed by 10, 47-37 at the end of the first half. But in the second, Team USA rallied, coming to within two points twice of the Soviets in the second half, employing a up-tempo fast-break offense. Yet midway through the fourth quarter, the Soviets regained the momentum and went on a 10-3 run to make the score 69-60 with a little over five minutes remaining. The, the Americans made one last run at the Russians, cutting the Soviet lead to three, with a little over a minute left. However, the Soviets would end the Americans' dream of another gold medal and held on to an 82-76 win. No last, no last, last second miracle finish, no resetting the game clock three different times to determine the winner. The Soviets won it, and they won it straight up. Kurtonitis led the Soviets with 28 points and went 4 for 10 from three-point range. David Robinson led the Americans with 19 points and 12 rebounds. And a couple of days later, Team USA, determined not to leave Seoul without a medal at all, rebounded to crush Australia 78-49 in the bronze medal game. After trailing early in the game, the U.S. responded with an 18-2 run to take command 25-7 that matter, and to end all Australian hopes of an upset. Mitch Richmond, Morley, and David Robinson each scored 12 points in the win. In the gold medal game, the Soviets, who had been beaten 92-79 by Yugoslavia earlier in pool play, reversed the outcome in the gold medal game, recording a 76-63 win over Yugoslavia for the gold. However, the lasting legacy of this game was not that the Soviet Union winning the gold medal ultimately, but it would mark the final time in Olympic history that the United States men's basketball team would be represented exclusively by college players. By 1992, the governing body of the international basketball had lifted the ban on NBA players and Team USA would dominate the field in Barcelona and recapture the gold medal using mostly NBA All-Stars. 
The disappointing finish of Team USA in Seoul paved the way for the Dream Team in 1992. And that is this week's main event. And coming up next is our top 5 events that took place this week, including a couple of things that took place at night, which had never happened before in the international pastime. Stay tuned. At the Sports History Network, we're all about the sports yesteryear, and so we're pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings sports history to life. The Row One Gallery features over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, and advertisements in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. Any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. It's your choice! In the Row 1 shop, you can pick from thousands of unique items that feature retro and historical backgrounds dating back to 1876. We have everything from clothing to phone cases to mugs, even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com backslash row1 for access to the full Row 1 catalog. When you buy from the gallery today, you can instantly save 15% on your purchase. All you have to do is enter the code SHN15 and your discount will be applied. That's SHN15. That's it. Simple. Save 15% off all your prints in the Row 1 gallery. Just go to sportshistorynetwork.com backslash row one. And don't forget to check out all the podcasts on the Sports History Network. Soundtrack provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. Hello and welcome back sports fans and you're listening to the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast where we focus on the best of sports from back in the day. And just to remind everyone out there that you can follow us on Twitter at HistoricallySP2 to get your daily dose of sports history. And also, in addition to that, you could also drop us a line or two at historically.speaking.sports at gmail.com. And right now, it's time for our top five. And not only is it just the top five, it is now the new Home Field Apparel Top Five. Home Field Apparel will be the new sponsor for our weekly top five, where, of course, we count down the five biggest historical moments in the world of sports that are celebrating anniversaries. And in, in this edition of the top five is being brought to you by Home Field Apparel. The college football season is rapidly approaching, and the best way to show off your school spirit when you attend your team's games is to wear a shirt or hoodie from Home Field Apparel. They have a wide range of styles for your favorite team with what I call old school logos. And not not only to make you stand out in the crowd, but also show everybody else that you are a true fan. They have shirts that represent close to 200 schools and adding more schools and more styles every day. And on the website, you can hit the rewards button located at the bottom of the screen to get 20% off your next purchase if you refer a friend to the site. Pretty cool, huh? So... What's also pretty cool is the Tulane Green Wave shirt that I have on right now as I record this. So give Home Field Apparel a try for your next tailgate. That's Home Field Apparel, where they study your school's history, traditions, and legacies to create thoughtful premium apparel. A must-have for your next tailgate. Once again, Home Field Apparel, where they are fond of saying, wear one for the team. And now, 
on with the countdown. And this week's countdown deals with historical moments that celebrate anniversaries this week. And most of them centers on baseball. Yet one of the entries is the formation of one of the most storied football teams in NFL history. So without further delay, here's the top five events in sports history that took place between the dates of August the 7th through August the 13th. Number five. The Chicago White Sox suit up in shorts. On August 8, 1976, the Chicago White Sox were sitting at 47-60 and 60 in the season and were heading into a doubleheader with the Kansas City Royals at Comiskey Park. And White Sox owner Bill Veck decided to change things up. Instead of using the traditional blue pants that the Shy Sox normally wore with their home uniforms, the team came out in the opening game of their doubleheader with navy blue Bermuda shorts. This unusual outfit choice made the Sox players the butt of jokes from several Royals players. But Chicago won the game 5-2 after picking up the save. White Sox relief pitcher Goose Gossage remarked that he hoped he had advanced notice when the team was wearing shorts so he could nair his legs. The Sox wore shorts only three times that season going 2-1 when they did wear the shorts and they never came back again. Number four, all eight Major League Baseball games played at night. On Friday, August 9th, 1946, something happened in baseball that had never occurred before and would become almost commonplace today. But it was a big deal one, after, one year after the end of World War II and that all games in the Major League Baseball slate would take place under the lights. You have to remember the Cincinnati Reds were the first team to play under the lights at legendary Crosley Field. By 1946, almost all Major League ballparks had lights, and for the first time that night, all of the games were played at night. Speaking of night games, number three, the first official night game at Wrigley Field. On August 9, 1988, the Chicago Cubs would finally play a home game at Wrigley Field at night. At 7.05 local time, the switch was flipped to turn on the lights for the first night game at Wrigley. Cubs pitcher Mike Balecki threw the first pitch under the lights and it was a good night for in Wrigley Field as the Cubs claimed a 6-4 win over the New York Mets. Yet, the first night game was originally scheduled for the night before but was rained out. So the first so the night the next night, a sold-out crowd on Chicago's north side got to see the friendly confines lit up for the very first time. Number two, the Green Bay Packers are founded. On August 11, 1919, Curly Lambeau, who would later become a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was a shipping clerk for the Indian Packing Company of Green Bay, and he founded the Packers, which would go on to, be, to become one of the most storied franchises of all of North American professional sports. Lambeau, along with his high school rival George Calhoun, solicited funds for uniforms from the Indian Packing Company and was given $500 for uniforms and permission to use the company grounds for practices. In 1919, which was their first season of competitive football, Lambeau led the Packers, who was then the team's starting halfback and team captain. Lambeau will go on to become head coach of the Packers and lead the team to six of the franchise's 13 NFL titles. And finally, the top historical moment between the dates of August 7th through August the 13th. On August 12th, 1994, Major League players go on strike, canceling the remainder of the 1994 season and the postseason. It was the eighth work stoppage in baseball history, as well as the fourth in-season work stoppage in 22 years. The strike began on August 12, 1994 and resulted 
in the remainder of the season being canceled, including the postseason, and for the first time since 1904, the World Series. The strike was suspended on August 2nd, on April 2nd, 1995, after 232 days, making it the longest such stoppage in Major League Baseball history and the longest worst stoppage in Major League professional sports at the time, breaking the record set by the 1981 strike, which was also in Major League Baseball. In response to the, the worsening financial situation in baseball, the owners of Major League Baseball teams collectively proposed a salary cap to their players. Ownership claimed that small market clubs would fall by the wayside unless teams agreed to share local broadcasting revenues to increase equity among the teams and enact the salary cap, a proposal that prepares adamantly opposed. On January 18, 1994, the owners approved the new revenue sharing plan key to a salary cap, which required the players' approval. The following day, the owners amended Major League Agreement by giving complete power to the commissioner on labor negotiations. And that was this week's Home Field Apparel Top 5. And coming up on the other side of the break, we're going to pay tribute to two giants of the world of sports in my generation that we lost. Stay tuned. We at the Sports History Network are thrilled to work with our sponsors and partners. With their support, we are able to produce great content for you. The other cool thing is most of our sponsors and partners offer discounts to pass along to our fans. So if you go to the sportshistorynetwork.com slash sponsors page, you'll find Row 1, Royal Retros, Play Classic, Thrive Fantasy, and Mega Seats. All of these offer great discounts. Specifically at Row 1, you can save 15% at the Row 1 Gallery with the code SHN. The Row 1 Gallery includes over 5,200 reproduced sports history prints on a variety of sizes of wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. The Row 1 Shop also has thousands of more unique items with retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts and long sleeve shirts, phone cases and mugs, blankets and pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. With Royal Retros, they're the king of throwbacks. They've got jerseys, shirts, hats, collectibles, and more from defunct leagues and other teams in those leagues. From Play Classic Games, it's sports simulation board games. Just use the code SHN for 10% off your first order. From Thrive Fantasy, it's a daily fantasy sports and esports app for player props. Use the promo code SHN for instant 100% match up to 100 bucks. And with Mega Seats, they're tickets with no fees. You can save up to 10% with the code SHN. So check them out on the SportsHistoryNetwork.com sponsors page. That's SportsHistoryNetwork.com slash sponsors. The soundtrack is provided by Kevin McLeod of FilmMusic.io. And we're back for this third and final segment of the show, which is our shout out segment. And in this episode, I'd like to send a heartfelt shout out, shout out to two men that were an integral part of my sports watching childhood. First, there was Bill Russell of the Boston Celtics who passed away at the age of 88. Now, this past week, it was fitting that the NBA commissioner, Adam Silver, decreed that Bill Russell's number six will be tired throughout all of the NBA. In pro basketball discussion, 
of the decade of the 1960s begins and ends with the Boston Celtics and the centerpiece of the greatest dynasty in the 75 year history of the of their league is William Felton Russell who won 11 NBA championships in the space of 13 seasons and his last two with the Celtics he was a player coach making him the first African-American to win a major sports championship as a team's head coach now I remember him during my childhood he was a color analyst for both CBS and later on at TBS and I would ask my grandfather how famous he was or how great he was and my grandfather would go back and tell me that he won all of these championships and all of these MVPs. And later on, once I got into college, I really finally understood how great this man was both on and off the court as far as civil rights as was concerned. He was a great role model and he would be sorely missed not only by yours truly, but by the NBA. Before he was the center with the Celtics, Russell had won back-to-back -back NCAA titles with the University of San Francisco where he teamed up with future Celtics teammate Casey Jones. The 1955 San Francisco Dons team went undefeated as regarded as one of the best teams in the history of college basketball. The other major sports figure to pass away recently was the great Vin Scully. As a kid watching baseball on TV, Scully was the lead broadcaster for the NBC Game of the Week during the 1980s. Me and my grandpa would watch the game, game of the Week every week on every Saturday afternoon. Yet Scully made his mark as the voice of the Dodgers for more than 60 years, dating back to the Dodgers' time playing in the Flatbush, sec the Flatbush section of Brooklyn. I always believed that if baseball could talk, it would sound like Vince Scully. His signature style was smooth and unmistakable, and he let the sound of the roaring crowd tell the story over the airwaves. Like that night in Atlanta in 1974, as he broadcast Hank Aaron's breaking Babe Ruth's all-time home run record. And who could forget Game 6 of the 1986 World Series at Shea between the Red Sox and Mets as he called the ball going through Bill Buckner's legs for NBC. Scully also did a little football for CBS in the late 1970s and the early 80s, including the incredible 1981 NFC Championship game between the Cowboys and 49ers, as Dwight Clark made a leaping catch in the back of the end zone at Candlestick Park. Yet his most, most legendary call came in Game 1 of the 1988 World Series when a hobbled Kirk Gibson hit one of the most memorable home runs of this side of Bobby Thompson against the unhittable Dennis Eckersley. Vince Scully and Bill Russell, two giants of American sports, and both will be sorely missed. And that will do it for this edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, and I'd like to thank each and every one of you for taking time out of your busy day to give us a quick listen. And if you like what you hear here, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and please follow me at HistoricallySP2 on Twitter. And also drop me a line at historically.speaking.sports at gmail.com. And until next time, I'm your host, Dana Augusta, saying thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.
Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude. And I hope that you enjoyed this recent episode presented by the Sports History Network and were able to learn some good old-fashioned sports history knowledge nuggets. I started the Sports History Network back in 2020 with the mission to help podcasters find a community of like-minded sports history nerds as well as helping aspiring podcasters to start their own shows. We have a little bit over 30 shows on the network right now covering all sorts of sports history, but as far as I'm concerned, we're just at the toothpick in the ocean moment, you know that. Can't even figure it out because there's so much more coming. We wanted to create the ultimate headquarters for sports yesteryear, starting with Podcast Network and our website, but we're going to continue to move into other mediums as well. And here's the cool part, because we want you to be part of our team. So if you're interested in starting your own podcast, or maybe being a guest on one of our shows, or who knows, maybe even writing an article for us over on the website. Seriously, all you gotta do is reach out to us on the contact page over at sportshistorynetwork.com. You can be as technologically savvy as a Neanderthal tapping on a stone trying to figure out this whole hieroglyphics thing back in the day. Again, it doesn't matter, because even if you don't understand the whole podcast space, we have a production team that can pretty much help you out with doing everything. All you gotta do, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com, head to the contact page, fill it out. That message goes right to me and I'll reach out to you as soon as I can. But for now, dude, I'm through if you're through.